Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I, I, I don't want to get too excited because we've been hurt before. I think the whole discussion around England has changed now, and Southgate's invited pressure onto himself. I still think England on the ball when given time and possession. I still think they're a little bit ponderous. It's hard to be critical, but it's also hard to be excited about that performance. I mean, you were really up on England's certainly after the Tunisia game. Do you still feel as excited? As excited? As excited? It's coming home. It's coming home. Welcome, listeners, to the fifth World Cup special of The Extra Inch. I'm Windy, and I'm joined once again by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our stats guy, Nathan A. Clark. Hi, Nate. Hello, Windy. How's it going, lads? We're in the semi-final of the World Cup. Oh, I thought you'd be enthused about that. No? I, <laughs> I thought about making an air horn sound, and then I thought that might be terrible. So then I was sort of lost and doing nothing instead. <laughs> yeah, good call. I thought you were going to direct it. I thought you were going to direct questions at us, because otherwise we talk over each other. Okay, uh, we're in the semi-final of the World Cup. How are you feeling about um, that, Barney? I'm very excited for England and for you guys. Very excited. For you guys. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> you'll have heard something at the start of the podcast there that Nathan put together. Um, we basically think Nathan wanted to underline the fact that he's been on the It's Coming Home train since day one, whereas Bardi and I have been far more sceptical. But um, to be fair, he did nail it. Um, and that was a nice little intro, we thought. And at the end of the episode, you're going to hear Tom Mitchell's version of Three Lions. He's made an acoustic version, and he's made it available for download at tommitchell.bandcamp. And any proceeds of uh, sales of that are going to Jay's Aim, which is a charity set up to reduce the number of young people who die of sudden cardiac death in the southwest of England. And Jay was a big Spurs fan, I believe, and uh, someone that Tom knew. So, so do support that charity, and hope you like what you hear at the end of the podcast. Let's talk about England. So John Ehrlichman on Twitter said, things that didn't exist the last time England reached the semi-finals. 
iPhone, Facebook, Google, Amazon, Android, Twitter, Instagram, iPod, Yahoo, YouTube, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Wikipedia, text messages, BuzzFeed, BlackBerry, Spotify, Tesla, Skype, Uber, Airbnb, Bitcoin, Fitbit, Emojis, eBay, iPad. And Croatia. <laughs> and Croatia. Good shout. Is that true? I saw someone else yeah, comment that. I'm not sure how exactly when Croatia was founded, recognised. Well, it was um, Yugoslavia played um, Argentina in the quarterfinals. Of course, that went out of course. On penalties. But I, um, I remember the World Cup semi-final in 1990 vividly because Italy had played Argentina the day before and I was in Italy for this World Cup and the whole country had just died a death the next day. So the following day, England versus Germany, I sat by myself in my grand's house everybody in the whole country didn't want to watch football anymore and I remember the day after the semi-final versus Germany my dad packed up me and the rest of my family and drove us all back to England because he was fed up and he didn't want to stay in Italy for the World Cup final so he, he cut short our holiday by two <laughs> weeks because because, uh, because Italy went out super dad I love <laughs> how what, what would you have thought as kids <laughs> you're enjoying your holiday and your dad said no that's it we're going home well, it was weird because I, what could I do? I was um, I was nine years old, so I watched the semi-final in Italy, and I watched the third and fourth place playoff in, in, in England, and we driven back to we, we drove back to England. And Nathan, I'm going to guess you weren't even alive last time we were in the semi-final. No, no, that I oh. yeah, you can add me to the list of things that didn't exist. Yeah, that's really, really yeah, that's 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 just great. That's just swell. <laughs> um, so, so we beat Sweden. It was a lot easier than we thought it was going to be. An easy 2-0 win. And that was in part due to a set-piece goal. Another set-piece goal after half an hour. And Dan Arlington of Reddit has said, Why do you think it's? Why do you think so many England goals are coming from set-pieces? And is there anything there that Spurs can take away from this? Or is it a peculiarity limited to international football? I think Nathan should start off on that because you've already touched on this a little bit. Yeah, um... I... There's a suspicion that it might be slightly exaggerated at international level just because of how predominant set-piece goals have been at this World Cup. But I do think that uh, Southgate's ploys and the idea of having plans, particular plans, for set-pieces will translate well to Spurs, for example, if we wanted to do that. There's a There was a moment um, before Maguire's goal, there's a clip that's gone around, where Harry Kane, he whispers something in Maguire's mm. ear. And that makes me feel really positive because there's a part of me that thinks, okay, Trippier's going to start taking half our set pieces next season and we'll still score none of them because the important bit isn't really the taker. It's having the movement and the plays and the screening and the plans on the other end. But then watching that bit with Kane makes you think, okay, Kane is obviously uh, a figurehead at Spurs and enthusiastic and he's involved um, clearly on an, an intelligent level with what's going on at set pieces so maybe he will take that back to the club he will take that back to Pochino and he will have the boldness to say why aren't we doing something like that let's do something like that at Spurs I love that idea that Kane's going to be our set piece strategist and why not because he's going to profit from from as many as anyone really isn't it he's going to, only going to add goals to his tally I have this theory that and it's something we've spoken about a bit before that because international teams don't have so long to spend on a training pitch they have to do what they can in a limited space of time. And one of the most simple things strategically a, a, a team can do is practice set pieces because it's relatively straightforward. There's no kind of, um, there's no reliance on... Technical ability? Part, partly that, partly that. That wasn't where I was coming from. I'm talking more about um, having to 
work out where you where different players are going to be on the pitch and during every phase of play. So it's literally less time consuming to do, um, which I think makes it more straightforward to to practice and rehearse. I mean, it's just a case of getting a couple of people on either side of the pitch whipping in balls constantly for an hour, a couple of hours, and you've probably rehearsed, let's say, two hundred set pieces in that time, and and practice makes perfect. So just doing that can can make a big impact. And England have showed with this huge proportion of set piece goals that it really does have an impact because, dare I say, I don't think we've actually played that well in any of our games yet. Um, and yet here we are in the semi-final. Um, in, in this game in particular, I mean, what did you think of the game, Bardi? Did, you, did it feel like, um, did it feel like a 2-0? It was, it was 0.5 versus 1.1 on, on Michael Cayley's XG model, but did it feel like a 2-0 to you? I just, I think I've got something to add to the oh, set Oh, sorry, piece yeah, thing. go for it. It's, 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 it's okay. It's, I think um, there's been two major um, influences here. I think, first of all, is VAR. That um, defending, I think defenders need to learn how to cope with this VAR world because the kind of holding, which you would used to be able to get away with a light kind of holding, these days you can't, mm. as we saw in the Columbia game. If a player goes down and they're being held, it's more often than not a penalty. And I think, like you mentioned, the training as well, because during these um, gaps between games, they're not really working on pressing and fitness, it's more about recovery. I think set pieces is a low impact, low stress kind of training. So it's a good way to keep them up and busy without kind of pushing them too hard because there's not really the time or the ability to kind of concentrate on pressing and movement, that kind of stuff. So uh, I think that's had a big influence on the set pieces. Mm. And as for the game, we did mention that um, Sweden wanted to make it a slow kind of dour affair. And I said as soon as England scored, then the game would open up and that would be the end of Sweden. And even though they had a couple of flashes here and there, that was pretty much it. And the players that we spoke about at length, Berg and Forsberg, kind of showed themselves up to be what they are. And that's pretty much championship footballers. Wow. Savage. Nathan, how, <laughs> how do you think it went, Nathan? Uh, yeah, going back to the expected goals thing is that um, most models, and including Kayleigh's, are shot-based. So... Um, even though there are a couple of times that Sterling's played through or over and not just Sterling, but we have a good chance, but then we convert that into either not having a shot at all or a much lower quality shot than we could have had. So there are models out there. I think Strata um, have chance-based models because most are based on shots. We we have the opportunity to have good shots, even if we didn't take good shots. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, it does make sense, yeah. And Sterling's one was a, a perfect example because he v- came very close to getting around the goalkeeper, the goalkeeper got a hand to it, etc, etc. And he could um, also have fed Kane in, but then opted for an awkward shot instead. Yeah, precisely. I mean, it felt to me as though the game was a lot easier than it than it might have been, and I think that early goal or early-ish goal had something to do with that. It seemed to knock the wind out of Sweden's um, sails, as the cliche goes. And it didn't, like Barley says, it didn't really offer a great deal going forward. But actually, they were quite defen- defensively disappointing as well. I kind of build them as this team that was happy to let England have the ball in wide areas, whipping crosses, and they just head them away all day. And we scored both of our goals from headers. Delhi's goal was particularly Spursy. He kind of read a, a, a curling ball in, which was going in towards the far post. He read it perfectly. He was there to nod home. We've seen him score that goal tens of times for Spurs. Um, and and to be fair, it was a kind of Spursy Delhi performance in in more than one way because. He did very little for the rest of the game, but you leave him on, he pops up with a goal. 
Uh, we also had a, another performance from Sterling, which got people talking. And Mepfish, or MEP Fish on Twitter, said, Why does everyone keep digging out Sterling? Buddy, do you have a feeling about Sterling's performances so far? I I quite like Sterling. I think all he's missing is a goal. I think the way he's playing, the the kind of attention that he's getting off um, opposition defenders, the way he's dropping deep and then spinning through and breaking through the lines, I think he's definitely offering England something else. And had he scored, um, I mean, one was offside, so you can't really criticise him for that. But had he scored the other chance, then I think it would have been close to a complete performance because I think he's been excellent. And... I thought all I thought Delhi and Lingard and Sterling. I thought they worked really, really well together. And I'm, I think I think the criticism of Sterling has been unfair. Do you agree with that, Nathan? I do. I completely agree with that. I think to ad- addressing the question is difficult because I think that there are um, political elements which I'm reluctant to sort of go into on this podcast. Um, but essentially, there's this sort of cyclical relationship between fans and media where. Um, media have created a situation in which there is an existing hatred for Sterling and as a result there's then viability in continuing to dig him out even if it's undeserved I think I think we can sorry I'm sorry I just think there's um, something very similar at the moment between how Lamella plays for Spurs and how Sterling plays for England that they're both working really hard they're both doing things for the team and both creating openings and gaps for the team without actually producing anything themselves and I think Sterling has done it he's done a great work for the for for the England team um I mean he scored 18 goals and got 11 assists for Manchester City last season so it's not like he's never scored a goal before or that he's goal shy it just hasn't clicked for him sometimes players go into World Cups and they don't get the kind of statistical um, rewards that perhaps their performances deserve I guess the difference might be that for City he gets so many more chances um, whereas and, and and so he can afford to be profligate. Whereas for England, he's getting one or two chances max per game, and when he misses them, it kind of stands out a little more. But I would tend to agree that he's not looked anywhere near as bad as some elements of the media would have you believe. Um, and in was it the, I think it was the BBC Player Rater, he ended up bottom by quite a significant margin. I also think that's as as well as the um, the point that Nathan's raised. And again, I, I'm also reluctant to go into it. I think. That's one factor. But also, when a player misses a high-profile chance, it, you get a lasting memory of them having done something negative, um, regardless of what the rest of their performances look like and some of the stuff that's going on off the ball that's, that's less obvious, and, and, and particularly to sort of the more casual fan who might be watching at the World Cup and, and might be less kind of interested in what happens off the ball. Um, so that might be a reason why Sterling ended up with a, a lower rating in, in that way as well. Um, Trippier had another great, great game, I thought. And to Trunk said, is Trippier's quality enough that we should look to accommodate him more at Spurs? Or is this just over-sentimentality because he's playing exceptionally well for England and we should still look to buy someone better suited to Spurs? I'm going to avoid this question, but Bardi, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I've, I've, been, I've been considering my, my opinions on football for the last couple of days because I've spent most of the last season criticising Trippier and I'm still not convinced he's a great right-back He's done really well in this team and it suits him to have someone of the speed of Walker behind him. Uh, but what's never been in doubt with Trippier is his quality on the ball. That's for everybody to see. He's still not the kind of rampaging right back. He's still not taking people on. I don't think he's stretching teams or anything. And he hasn't been um, attacked either. His worst performances for Spurs have come up against Sane. And fair enough, Leroy Sane may have um, roasted a few players before, but... Um, 
I don't think he's been tested and we've played England have played consistently to his strengths I still don't think he's Tottenham's answer at right back Nathan have you changed your views on Trippier at all I I haven't really and it's a little harsh to sort of um refuse to change my Spurs opinion on him even though he you know he's he's playing in a way that has earned credit and earned respect um I I would like to see Spurs address the right back position um but I recognize that it's not the highest of priorities and I think that Trippier's performances this summer will um help ease my mind on that regard I think if we go into next season with the three right backs that are Trippier, Aurea and Kai Walker Peters and say, Look well look, only two of you are coming out as our two right backs, then we should be able to to garner a, a winning situation out of that. I do like this right back battle royale that you're proposing there, Nathan. And to be honest, at this point I can only see one loser, but I'm gonna keep that to myself for now. <laughs> um, so next we play Croatia. A complete change of style from the teams we've played so far. And arguably the best team we've played so far. I mean, it's, it's probably not even arguable at this point. But... <laughs> yeah, it's a, you, they, they will be the best team England have played so far. And yet, I'm feeling more confident ahead of the Croatia match than I have before any of the other matches. Well, Panama aside. And and I think that's because I know that Croatia will attack us a little more than, than other teams have. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of feel that might leave space for our more attacking players to expose. And we and, think, and we might um, finally see Sterling and Delhi and and Lingard perform to the level we know we know they can. I think um, England getting attacked will be interesting to see whether or not this defence can hold itself together because it gave up a few opportunities to Sweden. I mean, they weren't kind of clear cut opportunities, but a, a bad attacking team like Sweden still exposed England a couple of times. Colombia, when they decided to attack created some opportunities and even Panama had managed to score a goal so I think it'll be a real test for the defence we'll see how good that back three is um, we'll see how good um, Trippier is defending as well and we'll also see Henderson because I think up against Rakitic, Modric and if they play Brozovic as a kind of deep sitting player I think he might get swamped so I think this will be a real test for England and you know, I don't think winning this means they're going to win the World Cup, but it will give us a massive insight into whether or not this team actually deserves to be in the semi-final or whether they've got there because of fate and everything else fell its way. So, so you mentioned that Henderson might be somewhat exposed against a, a top-quality midfield. With that in mind, Nathan, would you consider making changes for this game? Probably not. I So I've been banging the the 3-4-3 the three, three drum a bit, and I, I, I think I need to come away from that because we've seen how well England sort of rotate their attacking midfielders and even Kane into dropping into that second centre midfielder position and how that flexibility is actually a very useful tool. Um, Even though um, Croatia are individually superior in midfield, I do think that they will probably lean towards conceding possession um, like we saw them play against Argentina and, and try to make it a bit of a messy game with a lot of fouls and a lot of pressing. And they they might end up with a great share of possession, but I don't think they'll be looking to keep it. I think they'll probably attack fairly directly. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I can't see Southgate making changes because he's seemed to want to stick with his first choice eleven. Aside from making changes through injury or through mass rotation, he he seems quite set on this eleven he's found. Um, so I, I think, regardless of what we think they should do, I think he will stick with it. Um, Bishley on Twitter says, "What do we do to stop Modric?" 
or do we just accept that he's going to run the game and stick to that deep 5-3-2, denying him passing options and hope to score on the break or from set pieces before he does something incredible? Buddy, what do you do about Modric? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, England in um, 2012, when they played up against someone like Pirlo, they tried to man-mark him out of the game. And I don't think England would do that this time. I think England will trust their formation and try and try and just bypass Modric. I don't, it's um, it's a complicating. I mean, he's, he's had a great tournament, but I don't think he's looked like Real Madrid Modric. I think they're playing him too deep. And I think a lot his effectiveness will depend a lot on whether or not they play him further up the pitch and whether or not they play a defensive midfielder alongside him. I expect that they will go with three man field. They went to a to a, a Rakitic Modric two against Russia because they're expecting Russia to be especially defensive. But I think they'll return to the sort of four one four one that they've been using elsewhere in the tournament. Um, I personally wouldn't be too surprised to see probably Lingard tasked with a man marking um, mission against Modric. I was going to say that we might see Delhi end up man-marking him. Um, reason being that Delhi is someone who I think is really underrated in terms of his tactical discipline. One of his best performances for Spurs last year was in a two-man midfield against Liverpool, uh, where he did an amazing job of, of basically sticking with them and, and tracking runners for the whole game. And I feel like he, if a manager tells him to do something, he will do it over and over again, regardless of what's going on around him. He's not a selfish player. And I feel like he could be the man to, 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 to stick on Modric. But then that would limit the number of players we have making runs over the top um, beyond the defence. So it kind of it swings in roundabouts. Would you rather have Delhi making those runs so that Henderson can play those first-time balls that he's shown um, great composure in doing? Or do we, do, we, do we take the hit, except that we're going to have one of our attacking midfielders out of rotation and basically stick him on Modric? I tend to think Southgate might just stick with what we've done so far, see how that goes, and if Modric becomes a growing influence, then perhaps do something about it then. But I think to start off with, he'll, he'll want us to express ourselves in, in the way we have done throughout the tournament, um, or, or the, the way he's perceived that we should be doing throughout the tournament so far. Do you see any weaknesses in Croatia, Bardi? Oh, I mean, we can clearly see they, they struggle from set pieces. Um and the fact that Lovren is their centre-back and Harry Kane has got a history of bullying Lovren to pieces. So um, I think that's where their weaknesses will be. That's a great point. Lovren was um, hauled off when we played Liverpool at Wembley when we we scored the, the early goal and he just looked terrible. And I think he he lasted about 25 minutes or something like that. And Kane was giving him uh, the absolute runaround. So hopefully we'll see the same again. Nathan, have you spotted any chinks in their armour? Yeah, I mean, I think they are individually um, weak in defence, and they've—I think they've lost their right back. I can't remember his, his name. Um, which Brasalco. That's it. So, I, which means uh, Vida going out to right back and Vedran Chorluka, um mm-hmm. coming into defence. So, yeah, they've done a really good job of protecting their defence and and getting the best out of the defenders that they have. Um, but I think that there's a potential for them to be exposed. All sounds very promising. So, so we're going for England wins all round, then, right? My view is an optimistic one, but in a different way because I think that by simply reaching the semi-final, England have already achieved so much, changed the conversation around England in in such a huge way that unless we were to get horribly beaten at this game, we can already go home very happy with ourselves. So this is a a freebie, and so will the next game. I totally agree. I totally agree. I, I just think this is such a big thing for English football. Um, and I'm so, so glad that Southgate they wanted to do it because, as we know, he's been involved in the, the grassroots, as it were, set up for, for some time. Um, he did 
big things the under 21s worked within the kind of administrative department that is the FA which is you know a, a bit of a dinosaur organization so he's driven it forward and he deserves everything he gets from this he's just come across so so damn well and I'm so so pleased and pleased for him and proud of him let's move on to some questions uh Keith Wickle or Wickle says which non-Spurs player has impressed you the most and would you would you want Pochettino to sign them which non-Spurs England player sorry Buddy, who's who in the England team that doesn't play for Spurs? Would you want to sign? Uh, I mean, the obvious one is I know you love him as well. Is John Stones looks oh, he's looked great yeah. in the three, so I think he would be a really nice addition. Um, yeah, I think John Stones has impressed me, and um, I Pickford has played pretty well. Yes, looked, yes, looked pretty, <laughs> say that again. Pretty good with Apologize. Even I'm not apologizing. apologize, Buddy. Even though his the saves he made against Sweden were um, were good saves, I don't I think any kind of top class goalkeeper would have saved them as well. But I have been impressed with Pickford. But you, perhaps he's not you, shit. The thing that's impressed me the most about Pickford is the intangible stuff. So the the character he's he really seems to have come of age in this tournament. Um, he he he's bawling out his defenders at every possible opportunity. He's organising. He's shouting. He's controlling. He's. Uh, is leading from the back, and I've been so impressed by that element of his game. We we knew he's a great shot stopper. That's that's been his thing for a while. But he's just so um, commanding in in the penalty box. Just so impressed with Pickford. But like you say, John Stones is the one for me. I I just love him as a player. He calms everything down at the back. He takes the ball wherever it is in the pitch. He he will take it off the goalkeeper to to stop us having to go long. Um, he's a sexy, sexy footballer. Nathan, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would also look at unsexy John Stones or Harry Maguire, as he is more often called. Yeah, um, yeah I'm I'm slowly coming around to him. I mentioned before that I do like him. Um, I didn't think he was quite right for Spurs, but at the risk of being turned by a World Cup performance, I, I'm warming to the idea of Spurs signing him. And I think financially he's a bit more realistic than John Stones. And to be fair, he's had two great Premier League seasons as well. So oh, he has. He's he's kind of proven himself at domestic level, um, and with Jan sort of edging towards the latter stages of his career, he could come in and replace Jan as the defender, willing to literally dribble the ball out from the back. So I'm all I'm all for signing Harry Maguire as well. Um, although I imagine after this World Cup, his value would have doubled um, rather depressingly. So next question is from Rumple Foreskin on Reddit, who says. If you were to take a player from any team eliminated from the World Cup so far, excluding Ronaldo and Messi, and have them in the England squad, who would it be? Bud, let's start with you. Who I know you're not an England fan, but who, which, which uh, eliminated teams player would you have in the England squad to improve them? I mean, um, the Croatia, uh, the Croatia um, Russia game. Um, Cherzhev scored. I've, I've probably butchered his name. He scored a great, sensible soccer goal where it almost looked like a tackle. And it flew into the top corner. And he's like clocked up four goals this tournament. Um, he can run a lot. I don't know whether that is to do with his general fitness or whether he's had some help with that. But he's got great energy. And I think he surprised me. I thought the Russian team was just a load of uh, planks, giant planks who couldn't move. And he's looked pretty good. And the same with um, Golovin. I've liked, I've liked the cut of his jib as well. Yeah, Cheryshev's really, really handy. He's um, a player that I gather has been stricken by injuries for a lot of his career which has restricted his progress, but he's a very talented player and has scored some fabulous goals. The one with the outside of his foot into the far corner was an absolute beauty. Um, yeah, really, really impressed with Cherishev. Nathan, how about you? I think that the type of player England are missing the most is a creative central midfielder, which hopefully one day will be Harry Winks. 
But if there was someone I could transport in there now, it would be along those lines. So uh, we'd be looking at Cruz or Benega, or maybe if you're including teams that haven't reached the tournament at all, um, and perhaps an Italian or Pjanic. So yeah, I think uh, Modric would probably be the ideal one, but he is still in the tournament. So yeah, a player of that mould. Yeah, I mean, to go all hipster, I was going to say Benega as well, but also... You, you could look at someone like Coutinho, who's played a lot deeper for Brazil than many were expecting and was probably their best player across the tournament. Um, I feel like Coutinho's really gone up a level since I watched him play regularly for Liverpool. And England do lack a kind of creative type from a little, that, like you say, that deeper position in midfield. Um, I mean, there's been some, there's been some great indi- individual performers, oh, but... Thiago. Thiago Alcantara oh, yeah. completely skipped my mind. Yeah, 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 great shout. It, did he even play a minute at this tournament? He had one game against uh, Morocco, which he didn't do particularly well in, to be fair. But um, that's not that can't be his fault because he's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> he's he, he's really great. And Isco had a, a good tournament overall as well. He he you definitely make space for him in the England team. That's that's for sure. He's a really talented player. Um, Nathan, I notice you've put down some further reading. What what have you got for us? So this is a Twitter thread by uh, Nikos. What's his surname? Overhuel. Um, and it's a breakdown of Maguire's goal against Sweden, the set-piece routine, how England freed him from his marker by swapping players around. It's really clever. It's a, it's a brilliant thread. And Nikos is a professional at set-pieces. So um, if any Spurs staff are listening into this, please get in contact <laughs> with Nikos. Bardi, anything from you on the further reading front? Yeah, um, Tifo Football did a nice little video on um, Raheem Sterling. He's a better player than you think. And they've analysed how Sterling's played this tournament. So um, it's good to go there and get insight into um, kind of see what, what their opinions on him and how he's played. Nice. And I would just say anything that Johnny Liu has written during this tournament is essential reading because he's just he's smashing it every single time. Thank you, guys. It was nice, uplifting chat about England. And let's hope that we can record again in the same same vein after the Croatia match. Ah, uh, God. Like Nathan says, it's a free hit. But at the same time, how good would it be to be in a World Cup final? It's almost unimaginable to imagine, to think of, of England going out in, in the biggest match in the footballing calendar or world, basically. We could be there. It's, I, I, I haven't quite got my head around it yet. Thank you, Bardi, for joining us. Cheers, Wendy. And thank you, Nathan. No it's coming home. <laughs> now listen to Tom Mitchell... Uh, with his acoustic cover of Three Lions and do support the charity Jay's Aim at www.jaysaim.co.uk or through tommitchell.bandcamp Cool!
spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.